All right. <laughs> I'm completely ready, I swear. Okay. Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, oh wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel Comics series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, our hearts are hammering for Excalibur number 95, Amplified Heart, in which Nate Gray gets sad because Excalibur's too nice and new regular penciler <laughs> Carlos Pacheco is working real hard to impress us. Excalibur number 95 was originally published in March 1996, and the creative team is Warren Ellis on writing, Carlos Pacheco on pencils, Bob Wyasek on inks, Joe Rojas on colors, Richard Starkings and Comicraft on letters, and Suzanne Gaffney on editing. In each of us, there burns the fury of a warrior. In every generation, a few are chosen to prove it. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. Three strangers. It has begun! Welcome back to our regularly scheduled, up-to-the-minute coverage of this comic from 27 years ago. We started with Claremont and Davis, we will wrap up with Rab, but for now, we've got Pacheco joining Ellis for what feels like yet another new beginning on this book. But who are we? Starting with myself, I'm Dr. Anna Papard. I often rhapsodize and sometimes complain about sexy, gendery stuff in comics and pop culture. You can find me in the usual academic spots and at the Twitter account Sequential Scholars, where Andrew and I are currently talking about Kate Beaton's newish graphic novel, Ducks two years in the oil sands. I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I'm relishing these final few moments before the buzz cut. Just let me have this before <laughs> I invite my co-hosts <laughs> to introduce themselves. I just want to get serious for a moment and address the competitive spirit that's been infecting some of these intros of late involving a certain <laughs> battle-based podcast. We at Gosh Golly Wow are lovers, not fighters, and I'm sure we'll prove it by being on our very best behavior today. Moving on, I am joined as always by Mav. How's your heart this week? I was promised that I was allowed to come here and fight. That was my understanding. <laughs> it's the only reason I showed up this week. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> hello, <laughs> my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. Uh, I'm the co-host of this show and another one called Vox Popcast. Uh, teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design in the English department at the University of Pittsburgh, wherein I am in the final hours. If you're listening to this, it, <gasps> literally the final hours of when of my summer vacation before 
before summer term co- um, starts <laughs> because I, because like theoretically well i mean i guess you could be listening to this on the sunday before i went back to work but if it's monday then i am working again and, and my summer vacation that's been going on for the last two weeks is over and beyond that i you know like i, I spend a lot of my time of recent like arguing with turf philosophers on <laughs> on oh, twitter god. Oh. oh god it's yeah yeah i've had i've had an interesting couple of days that have nothing to do with comics whatsoever so yeah oh. i was kind of in a fighting mood um and 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 then you're like oh we're lovers and i'm like oh you speak for yourself oh, i don't know what not you're not about. when not where turfs are concerned mav please please yeah. flying elbows so, uh, let's go so so yeah so that was um it, it, it's just it's been an interesting couple of days but beyond that i guess we're going to talk about a comic today kind which of. I, I i take I take I take offense Jesus. at the use uh, at the use of the cover slogan of you know hope you survive the you know the Kitty Pride welcome to the X Men hope you you survive the experience joke deserves better than to be rehashed on this book. So you are in a fighting mood today. My goodness, I was my promised goodness. that I could come swinging today. That was a, that was how I was. That was my understanding of why I was invited. Um, Andrew, what's the state of your competitive spirit? Um, feeling a little conflicted as a result of certain loyalties i was very excited that we were having newlywed michael hancock back on the pod today he sent me an email that somebody had roughed him up and taken his spot on today's podcast I, i'm not sure what kind of monster would do that to a sweet little excalibur podcast though it's, yeah wow in the wow. meantime I'm Dr. J. Andrew DeMann. I am co-lead of Sequential Scholars and a lecturer at St. Jerome's University, except I have a non-teaching term, so I'm not even really that right now. Uh, and we'll wow. shout out to the course I volunteer teach at my local library on the subject of Canadian graphic narrative. Last week, we compared the Canadian comic scene to Northrop Fry's concept of the garrison mentality in Canadian literature specifically, and it was pretty delightful. I think I talked about that in a paper I wrote about Alpha Flight, Andrew. Did you really? I've read that paper. <laughs> I, feel I, like I don't I remember you saying garrison mentality in it. I know you and I were on a panel about this at one point, but I don't remember either. Maybe I'm confusing the two things. Anyway, I'm just that sounds awesome. The idea of you, you have a non-teaching semester. This is a thing that, that can happen. It, I it would, just means I, I smacked hey. my teaching earlier. So I had to teach. I was going to say he's earned it. He's <laughs> okay. earned it. Okay. <laughs> He had to suffer. He had to suffer to get here. We are joined uh, this week by a very exciting returning guest. Um, he is the writer and artist of the very fabulous fan comic Bish and Jubes. He is also the co-host yeah. of the very popular podcast Battle of the Atom, which is celebrating its 300th dang episode this week. <laughs> you know, he's also super cute and I do hope that made him blush. The pod is delighted to welcome back my one and only Adam Breck. Hello, Adam. Hi, Kumate, Kumate, Kumate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I am excited to be here, folks. You know, listening to the uh, slander that we've been tossing back and forth between our shows, you know, I feel like it's time to push those cafeteria tables a little bit closer and uh, to, to really hash this out. So, you know, I, I'm here uh, to descend from the skies, much like Nate Gray. And um, uh, d- uh, let's see, let's see. That was it was jokes until just now. Now, why would you do that to yourself voluntarily? That was not. That wasn't cool. You know, knowing <laughs> knowing that you know uh, I'm the stranger in this academic world of yours, and uh, I have come down as the alternate reality punk uh, with knee knee pad weirdness. You know, and and I'm gonna try not to blow things up. 
so so hi everybody <laughs> there will there will be many tears before the morning i have no doubt <laughs> that not going to be able to get the image of you cosplaying as Nate Gray out of my head Adam that's great wow it's not, not an image that I'm... <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not but um Adam <laughs> I do have Hi. a question about, about comics for you so we already did your comics origin story you joined us like way back in March which was forever ago to talk about a horrible yep. Phoenix Jean Grey issue as I recall helped us save a very bad comic there but I thought we'd talk instead of doing origin stories let's talk a little bit about 90s comics I obviously know oh, yeah. that you were you were a comics reader around this time I know that as a young teen you were very into the image revolution and what followed you also read and rank a lot of X-Men comics so do you have any insight into what was going on around 1996 how was this book situated in time what was the state of the X-Men franchise as we seem to be relaunching Excalibur yet again see this this was fun because you did throw this question to me before um before we recorded so I went back and just kind of looked at what was coming out at the time and I'd kind of forgotten this is a weird confluence of events so <laughs> the first thing we have to keep in mind is that like we're still sort of on the bubble like the bubble hasn't quite burst on the yeah, speculator yeah. boom right so a great demonstration of this is that in the months around this issue coming out marvel and dc have marvel versus dc like mm -hmm. that's how big comics are right now is that the two biggest publishers are willing to put their characters in each other's books and to actually like make crossover books to go along with them so that's huge x-men is slowly moving towards the awful and uh regrettable <laughs> onslaught crossover <laughs> so you still have andy kubert over on x-men right you got lobdell and wade uh sharing writing duties over there and then over on uncanny it's lobdell and jeff Loeb with joe mad and they're doing the like crimson dawn stuff over at x-force jeff Loeb and adam polina are doing the purple era and like we're only a couple of months away really from the onslaught stuff kind of taking over the line and the other thing that i think is really important is i think this issue comes out in like uh march right at least that's the cover date but we're only like what nine months away from marvel declaring bankruptcy so mm -hmm. things are about to get really wild <laughs> so when you know when we see a cover like this of them advertising x-man coming on to uh excalibur a book that i feel like by this point you know ellis is trying his best but people i don't think people are really reading this book all that much at the time <laughs> yeah. i was um, too well i'm glad you <laughs> Um, that was it it's just me <laughs> it may have just been you uh, right so i feel like we're, we're we're getting into gimmicky time here now oh yeah very much so yeah well can i ask you a very personal question adam oh sure <laughs> do you like the x-men comics of 1996 uh no i mean all right um <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh sorry you yeah. would, would you like to think about that for like two seconds <laughs> and then say um no <laughs> yeah they're terrible they're terrible i mean i love a good joe mad illustration um mm. you know as anybody else i, I like him mm -hmm. as an artist but i i think lobdell had pretty much run out of ideas at this point and he wasn't even pretending anymore <laughs> no 
No. And it, it, you know, it just gets very, very dry. And then, like I said, once we hit onslaught, like it's a real slog, you know, through that and heroes reborn and all that crap. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a great time for comics. The thing that I always, I mean, like what I can point out is Crimson Dawn was a great name for a storyline. It's catchy. I mm -hmm. defy anyone on this podcast, you know, of which we've hosted, I think, six podcasts between the four of us. I def <laughs> you know, I defy any of you to tell me what the Crimson Dawn crossover was about without looking it up just off the top of your head. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> it does involve a pretty rad face tattoo for Psylocke. Yes. And some uh -huh. extra, I got ninja extra, extra ninja powers. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So you don't actually, it was a marketing ploy that like nothing else really mattered. Yeah. And, and that was it. Yeah. Now you nailed it. Jeez. Well, I'm coming in with all this positive energy of, I'm happy to have Pacheco on the book. And this yes. is actually, you know, an era of Excalibur that I think it's not the Davis Claremont era, but I think a lot of people have affection for this era of Excalibur. So I'm going to bring some positive energy to it today. Oh, I, I didn't mean to bum everybody out i mean um, pacheco <laughs> is a, a real nice uh change for the the art here i think you know and we're also getting some really really amazing digital technology going on oh, in this first page look at these balls everybody they're, they're so three-dimensional yeah they've got mm -hmm. lighting effects on them and and they're they're like floating marbles and i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah well i want i want to talk about that i want to talk about that so let's do the issue summary and we'll come back to it and we'll talk a little bit about pacheco because i feel like in terms of the significance of this particular comic kind of him starting as the regular penciler is arguably the most significant part of this so so we'll talk about that for sure so i know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod your devotion certainly amplifies our hearts and we'll try to amplify yours with a gift that's both thoughtful and useful. What else could it be but a plot summary? Excalibur number 95 opens tangled up with a comic we did not and will not be covering on this podcast, X-Man number 12, in which titular X-Man Nate Gray seeks answers about himself at Muir Island Research Station, only to be brutally attacked by mostly Brian, and then convinced everyone's evil by imperfectly reading Moira's mind and choosing to listen to the lies of the villainous Spore. We catch up with Pride and Wisdom strolling down the halls, talking about how maybe Pete deserved his beat down by Peter. Kitty's victim blaming is interrupted by Nate Gray's attack <laughs> <laughs> as oh, is Lord. Kurt and Peter Rasputin's bro time sharing beers on a spiky cliff. The team races to the site of an explosion and finds Nate threatening Moira. Nate says, and more properly yells, that he knows Xavier tried to kill him and that Moira is trying to do the same. He read her mind and knows she wants him dead. Moira taunts Nate in the wake of his childish outburst and asks him where he gets his conspiracies from. When she reveals that Spore is a mass murderer, Nate starts to wonder if maybe he's the baddie? The rest of Excalibur launch futile <laughs> attacks, which Nate easily repels but he can't stop the onslaught of Moira's words. She challenges him to read her mind properly, and finally he does, which reveals the real reason she's scared of him, because the ways he's losing control of his powers reminds her of her dead son, Proteus. Nate falls to his knees as the rest of the team does the Spartacus thing, volunteering their minds to be read, and Colossus gives a little speech about power and responsibility. Finally, a halo of psionic power links all the minds in the room to Nate's, and he learns the truth. Excalibur are the good guys, and he's just super emo. <laughs> <laughs> laughing in anticipation of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, after what we're told are many tears, Nate departs Muir Island to continue his search for answers. Rain asks Moira if he'll be back, to which Moira solemnly replies, she hopes he'll live to come back. Oh my goodness, the emotion. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I just wishing death on Nate, just already. Yes. He's had a hard and also, life. Yeah. Tears by who? Yeah, who was crying? 
<laughs> Who was crying? You didn't show me that scene on purpose because there was no oh. way to make that viable. <laughs> so that out of curiosity, like... did everybody read the X-Man issues leading up to this or did we just read the Excalibur issue? You mean before or just I now? Went, I went to. Just it. at any time. I, I mean, I did 20 years ago. Yeah. Or 30 years ago. I I refused to put myself through reading it again. No, that was a smart move. That was not on my purview. <laughs> yeah. But you you read number 12, Andrew, at least. Yeah, just because I was trying I was trying to backtrack that stupid Captain Britain retirement thing that's mentioned um, uh, oh, in yeah. the story. And I, I assume yep. maybe it was there. It is not. Nope. He's, no. <laughs> he's retired <laughs> off panel somehow. I don't know what's going yes. on. Yes. Well, you yeah. all are better than me because I actually went back and read issues 10, 11, and 12 just to make sure I knew what was going on going on in this issue because if you didn't read 12 you'd probably be pretty confused if you'd never read an issue of x-man before and then if you didn't read number 10 where he basically kicks the crap out of professor xavier because that's all x-man is like he's just this angry confused person from another dimension who walks around <laughs> kicking the crap out of x-man characters yeah. right yeah so I had to go back and be like, wait, what? Oh. And now, you know, of course, we uh, have to start this issue with uh, some really quality Pacheco pinups. Oh, sure. You know, just to, just to reacquaint ourselves with the history of X-Men. It's exciting. <laughs> it's like such a, like, we have to frame the entire universe around X-Men, like, in this particular time. And that's like such a hilarious project. But, um, but anyway, but I was supposed to be asking you your first impressions, which are sort of those, Adam. But like, speaking of this issue in particular, I mean, obviously, you've read it before. What were you thinking about this time around? What are you particularly looking forward to talking about? I think it's really a lot about the art, right? I mean, we've all yeah. already stated that there's not a lot of story happening here. Um, most of the story actually happens in the X-Man issue. Um, mm -hmm. This one is more just a conversation between Nate and, and Moira. So a lot of this is like, okay, we've got this exciting hot new artist on this book. Pacheco had already come off of, they had like kind of started him off in Marvel UK. So he mm -hmm. did... He did a team book there. And then the one that I remember really distinctly is he did a beautiful job on the Bishop mini series, which yes. I absolutely love. Then they tried him out on another AOA book, X Universe. But this is kind of like his trial run before he does his 1997 run on X-Men. So mm -hmm. this is a great like tryout comic, if you will. And, and obviously he sticks around on Excalibur for a while. When did he do his Star Jammers mini with Ellis? Oh, that's a good question. I would have to look that up, but I want to say it's after Excalibur, but before X-Men. Okay. Cause that's what I was wondering if it was like, his, that's where the, like Ellis brought him into Excalibur cause he liked him on Star Jammers or something. Oh, or the other way around. I, I feel like it was the other way around, but I yeah. don't actually remember. That was 95. Yeah. Okay. So that was probably before this, right? Cause when's this, this is 96. Yeah. Nin so, 96. Really? Wow. Yeah. Good call, Andrew. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That is a good call because yeah, we certainly got Pacheco go hyped in the letter call um heading into this and he's gonna put his stamp on this title pretty soon by redesigning certain people's costumes but um don't want to get caught up on that today uh, let me do some other first impressions and then we'll we'll talk about pacheco a little bit um, but andrew i mean i feel like both you and mav were bringing some negative energy to this issue but i mean what are your first impressions of this particular comic it's all over the place. It's it's ridiculous. Like the opening narration you mentioned, it's about the X line. And I actually like Ellis's yeah, writing there, the way he recontextualizes it for Y2K. That, that's, that's good work. And then he just mm -hmm. says in like one box, but we're talking about Excalibur. And then he just starts <laughs> rocking about Excalibur. <laughs> 
Like it's just really weird and it's an X-Men issue, but nothing of consequence happens in it. I'm pretty sure Ellis forgot Amanda exists again. Uh, and even the way she shoehorned into that image with Kurt kind of doesn't look right. Like the placement of the sword is stabbing her. Um, yeah, that's weird, huh? There, there, yeah, this 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 thing this thing is a mess. Don't like it. And, and I love Pacheco. So I'm like happy visually and then feel like this book doesn't deserve him. <laughs> well, you no, know, it does not. I do like the Kurt and Amanda image because we get the caption of team leader Kurt Wagner seen here with his lover, Amanda Septon. <laughs> I believe I made a joke about this on Twitter that I was like, every file photo of Nightcrawler should be Kurt Wagner seen here with his lover. I, I like that detail. <laughs> we should just keep that going. But anyway, Mav, I know you have quite a negative opinion of it too, but you're in a fighting mood, so hit me with it. You know what's great about this comic? Rory's in it. Oh. <laughs> Rory is like a highlight here and he's not really it's just that when Rory is in a book and he's not the worst part of the book that is my review of this comic <laughs> I was like oh look Rory's there that's better things are looking up because we have Rory Campbell that, wow. that's where I was and it's just okay so we joked a little bit about about X-Man and his pointlessness probably the least interesting part of the you know Age of Apocalypse storyline that he came out of is him oh, like yeah. <laughs> like 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 by far so when they do Age of Apocalypse and they're like we're going to you know Hey, hey guys, you guys are loving Age of Apocalypse. And I was like, we are, but we're going to bring part of it back to the main continuity with you. Four characters. And I'm like, okay. And they're going to be Dark Beast. <laughs> and I'm like, but we already have a beast. And Sugar Man. And Sugar you're like, Man. Really? I Sugar Man. <laughs> I, okay, yeah, but but yeah, but I'm like, really? Sugar Man's the one you got? And then and it's like, okay, well, who else? And then they're like, and X-Man. And I'm like, okay, we're done. There's just no, <laughs> there's no point to this. X-Man exists because someone thought, what if we could take Cable and make him more 90s? We're not 90s enough. <laughs> Can we add more miscellaneous 90s excess to this character who is designed only to be 90s excess? And there's nothing more to him, and I don't care. And they tried to make him work for decades, like literally. Shot. Yeah, it is literally. wild that his like series runs for so long, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and like, totally. and there's no point to it. Like you said, that he's just there to like be emo and accidentally fight x-men over you know misunderstandings and that goes on for years and i'm like mm -hmm. why why am i supposed to care about this person at all i only vaguely barely care about cable you know <laughs> and anybody who does care about cable like why would anybody who cares about cable want to take away all the stuff that makes him him it is just so frustrating to me to take this book that i did not want to read because like sometimes you do a crossover and you're like hey Let's do a crossover so that we can make this book that's struggling more popular. Which of the two books were they trying to make more popular? <laughs> like, that's a great question. Like Excalibur was a book where I joked that I know I'm the only person reading it. I know that, I mean, that's not true, but I mean, I know it's not popular. I know it's my little niche book that I'm holding on to the dream of that I still enjoy. But and I'm like, but nobody else is reading this. And they're like, yeah, but let's take X-Man, a book I couldn't care less about that. Like if I tried and like, we're going to show shoehorn this in and then we're gonna make nothing happen for 22 pages of i don't know he's kind of brooding do you want to fight him no let's try not fighting him because we already okay. fought him 
Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? This is so weird and pointless. And then, and then all of a sudden you're like, Rory comes in and it's like, I hate mutants. I hate mutants, but I want to love mutants. I want to love mutants. Read my mind. And I'm like, that was dumb, but go Rory for at least trying to add something. That's wow. where I was. <laughs> this book well, is dumb. <laughs> I, I was going to talk about Pacheco first, but maybe let's talk if we have more X Men thoughts. Let's like talk about that first because you said that he's like Cable, but even more '90s. But he's like a different yeah. version of '90s, which is that like he's sexy emo '90s, which is like different than like Cable's '90s excess. And I am intrigued by that aspect of the character. It reminds me a little bit of that thing that they did like what ten years ago, where they made over Lobo to be like sexy Lobo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because yeah. that's like Cable and Nate. <laughs> and like yeah. But, yeah. I am intrigued by them doing this because this is a very like I don't want to say like female gazy yeah. character, but he kinda is because he's that gambit type of like broody emo guy with the nineties hair. It's he looks very he, like nine oh two one oh. He's got the like thing going on. And I'm like, I know this is a popular character among some female fans. I mean who were reading it at that is time. He? That's was I, no, I mean, I, I, that was a character that people thought was sexy. I, okay. That was his purpose, yeah. and that's what letters... I mean, okay, I know that to be the case. I have been reading comics for 40 years. I have never met anyone who admits to this in person. <laughs> Not no. once. And, 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 the difference, and the difference is with, um, with Lobo, which I think is a really good example. Lobo was clearly what they did was exactly what Anna just said. They said, you know what? Women are not really into this weird biker fantasy, you know, bear. So like this, so like let's redesign him and just make him sleek and sexy and the ladies will love him. And then they did that with Lobo and Lobo fandom at large said, no, please, please bring us back our gay biker bear guy. Please. We were enjoying that. Stop screwing with the program. And DC had the sense to go, our bad. Let us take this back. Like mm -hmm. as much as they were fighting to save the new 52 during that, during, during those days. And they were, they were fighting hard. Lobo was the one where they went, oh, oh no, we've made a grave mistake. And they had the other Lobo just come out and kill the Lobo they had made. And then let us never speak of him again. And that's how that ended. Nate Gray was around a year ago. <laughs> Like they yeah. just and, and and he is still this guy. Last episode, we talked about a crossover that occurred just to use this character that was written in 2019. You, mm -hmm. why is this happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like no one wants well, this, and I, I just, I just refuse to believe that anybody is like. I mean, I know that. I mean, like, I know what you're saying is true. I've seen letters where people are like, "Hey, I love X Men." But, like, they keep canceling no. it. I've looked at sales figures. They're not that great. I think they make it up. I think Marvel wants to make Fetch happen. And it's just yeah, trying yeah. to make yeah. it's trying to make Nate Gray happen, and it's not going to happen. And I don't know who this was for. So you know, if you're a fan, tweet at me. Let me know if you're really like, oh yeah, I love Nate Gray because I don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I think you're lying to me. <laughs> I I already told this story to Adam off mic, but I became aware of the existence of X Men like long before I was a reader of X Men comics. 
because uh, we've we talked about this on the pod before, but X-Men was kind of like my last franchise. I was already reading comics, but I didn't know my X-Men stuff. And I went to this comic book store that was going out of business in Etobicoke. And my friend, and I won't say his name because I don't want to put him on blast, but he was buying up all of these X-Men back issues. And even then he was like apologetic about it. He was like, listen, I just really have an affection for this series. I know it's bad. Like, don't make fun of me. And this was like my first time becoming aware of this character. I was like, wait, 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 wait. There's a character called X-Man. This is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I just lost it. I thought it was the funniest thing in the entire will, world. That was my introduction to Nate. <laughs> I will appreciate that your friend said, I know he's bad. See, yeah. And, that's, and, and, <laughs> I, know, and I, I respect know. that. Like you said, you want to put him I respect that. There are lots of, okay. I am the world's biggest fan of the television show Riverdale. I mentioned it on my other show all the time. Yeah. Riverdale till death. I love it perfect television show no no it's horrible <laughs> i'm aware that it's horrible i know that like it's bad i know that manimal's bad i love cop rock i adore it i think it's brilliant these things are all garbage and i understand that and if you're saying that i love i love x-man because i like garbagey things okay now we can talk <laughs> but, there, but, I got, yeah there I is of, a certain I, Go ahead, Anna. I was just going to say, without putting my friend on blast again, I kind of think he maybe likes X-Men because he likes looking at pictures of X-Men. It's just like my mm-hmm. my summation of what the appeal was there, which co- connects back yeah. to my earlier point. Anyway, Adam, please go ahead. I was just going to say, there is a there is a campy quality to the X-Men series because it is terrible, right? And it doesn't seem to have any idea what it's doing. Long stretches are about the ghost of Madeline Pryor and maybe maybe <laughs> x-man is falling in love with this version and yeah. you know later and, on and, and maybe she's falling in love back which is yeah. weird like i really like, creepy I, right it bothers me that i know stuff about this yeah <laughs> later on yeah later on nate becomes like a prophet uh, who walks around with like a pixies doesn't, t-shirt on um, rachel shows up at some point doesn't yeah, she? yeah yeah and then <laughs> To make it even weirder, uh, Ellis picks up the book in its latter uh, part and like really goes for this ultra complicated sci-fi like head trip that makes very little sense. So, you know, I can understand why there's an appeal to it. You know, my co-host over at Battle of the Atom is Zach Jenkins, the bad boy of X-Men podcast. The bad boy of X-Men and, <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, you know, is self-named. Um, <laughs> and Zach was gifted by our good friend, Tom with every issue of X-Men oh my via leather bound tomes. Oh um, God. so they, they were, they arrived at his home one day and, you know, we've, we've come to refer to these as they've changed hands over the years as the cursed tomes, because <laughs> no one really wants to own a full run of X-Men. Uh, it's, it's terrible. So, you know, I do really feel bad for the Alex, the Excalibur team here that they have to deal with Nate, you know, because they're just minding their own business and, uh, sure. They kick the crap out of him in X-Men 12, but you know, here he is just blowing up Moira's lab. Like, dude, calm down, relax. He's just so emo. He can't help himself. He's just explosive emo. Well, okay. In terms of his function in this particular comic, I mean, does he have any like valuable function in this particular story at all? I mean, we've talked about it being pointless, but we do also, okay, well, I'm going to like give, I'm going to be charitable and be like, okay, is there any like 
intention though we do have the page where he reads all the members of Excalibur's thoughts and we in theory get insight about why each member of Excalibur is there so there's stuff like that where you have like an outside character coming in and then you get reflections on who the characters can are can we read basically. those I'm, I'm being I'm being generous here <laughs> yeah cause, because because so I'm on that page now <laughs> as it turns out please and please. uh and okay Kurt Wa Kurt Wagner is here because of Xavier's vision the dream of coexistence I'm not sure that's really why Kurt's there, but at least it's a that's a standard X Man y thing and okay, you need to start somewhere. Well why Kitty. is why is Kurt here then? <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm, I'm Kurt's here because Kurt I, if they'd said Kurt Kurt wants to prove his his ability uh, his ability to lead and not follow. There's other I mean that's it's not that's a good that's answer. Not good answer. To to say he's there because he believes in the in the in the vision, the dream of coexistence. Sure, I buy that, but mm -hmm. I could apply that to forty other X Men. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. including Kitty Pride, who is here because to her it's the only fight worth fighting for, which is literally saying, you know, mostly the same thing. Megan is here to learn and to do good with that learning. In other words, I, as writer, have not figured out to what what to write about <laughs> Megan yet. So Megan's here to do good. As a superhero, that Brian reminds Braddock, me of the Zoolander line, doesn't right. it? Yes. <laughs> Brian Braddock is here because he knows it to be right. What? Okay. Peter Niklovich Rasputin is here because he has come full circle to the veracity of the vision. Like, none of this says anything. Pete Wisdom is here because the job needs doing. Well, that's Brains his catchphrase, though. That's he his catchphrase. So he's got that. Though. Yeah. It, but I mean, that's the closest thing to actual characterization on this page. Mm -hmm. Rain Sinclair is here to help stop young mutants suffering in the ways that she did. Eh, yeah. I guess. She just wanted to like, visit her mom. Yeah, I, I, I mean, but, but it's weak. But I mean, I guess that's vaguely true. And then here, okay, Doug Locke is here to affect the coexistence between the very components of his mind. No, Doug Locke's here because he has nowhere else to go, literally. <laughs> they found him in the woods. <laughs> and then, okay, Rory Campbell is here because he fears becoming a mutant hater, and this is the best place to stand against that fear. As I said, Rory Campbell, only person in this book with actual character development or growth. And that's sad. Yeah. That's yeah. bad. That is a bad thing that happened. Something has gone wrong. So, like, so yes, I have flaws with this issue even as you're reading all of these descriptions i have to say that i was fixated on nate's high-waisted pirate pants which again <laughs> circles back to the point i was making earlier but anyway please adam i'm sorry <laughs> oh i was just gonna say that you know even if it's supposed to be that nate is coming to this grand realization that you know the dream is is worth having or what i don't know or whatever he's learning about this team or more who cares he's just gonna leave like it doesn't <laughs> and matter not, and not learn that lesson for the next 20 years he's just no. not, he, not it's not it doesn't get better no and, it doesn't sink in for dude here and and like i'm reading so like going through like these explanations they're all they're they're generic expo explanations and they're the definition of telling not showing right yeah like yeah, yeah. nate read their minds and we and like ellis doesn't even care ellis and pacheo don't even care enough to illustrated they're just on a splash page we're just like let's just write like there's so many splash pages in this issue it just feels like let's just get this over with just it's like a band-aid nate gray is a band-aid you rip it off and then you move on with your life <laughs> that's oh it's so bad it is better than the promethean exchange it is so bad oh, my God. i do like those splash pages though 
you know, oh, yeah. Pacheco. Well, Pacheco's a great artist. Yeah. That's the problem. It's literally just and and I and I actually so looking at at this image here, like those pants. I'm like, if I were still a wrestler, I could wear those as tights. That's what I thought. That, that's what I think about that. It's like it's just style. The story? Oh no, there's no story here. <laughs> but, but like literally, yeah. This feels very it. much like a like a reset button, right? You know, mm-hmm. like we've got a new artist, so we're gonna try and reset this within the current context of of you know the X line. But you really didn't need to do that. Right. I mean, Ellis has been on the book for a while, so it's really much more of an excuse to just have Pacheco kind of cut loose and and draw lots of flamey sparks effects. And, uh, you know, we're going to get these little digital marbles floating around in a couple panels. And we you know, we're doing a lot of color separation and gradients um, that are are very high tech and cool. So, you know, I can at least appreciate what pacheco is doing aesthetically he's definitely kind of channeling casada here i feel like absolutely in, in a lot Didn't of the line work yes. mm-hmm. yeah why is doing the inks here but you know pacheco is definitely if you go back to the bishop series forget who's inking him on that but it's a it's a lot more of a rounded style anna you mentioned the bart sears thing before right and <laughs> you know bart sears is all about these kind of sumptuous curves and every everything is rounded off if you go back to that bishop series a lot of it looks like that here pacheco is starting to really employ a lot of like sharp angles everywhere yeah right colossus for some reason doesn't just have shoulder pads he has Tri- tripads yeah <laughs> right you know it's the 90s it, baby <laughs> yeah but especially when you look at you know his wolfsbane on the second page like that could be a casada like that could be pulled out of casada's x-factor run you know the other influence that i'm seeing here is this era's jay lee you know there's oh, a little yeah. touch of that like if you look at mm-hmm. if you look at jay lee's stuff from executioner's song right he's doing a lot of you know silhouette images and and you know profile images and we're seeing a little bit of that like this image of jay lee's uh, namor run has a lot of that too yeah yeah if you look at megan in the bottom right corner here right Mm -hmm. um that you know that that could be a jay lee thing but i just like pacheco's art i think it looks great i just wish like you know as mav is highlighting here there's there's just not much of a story yeah i was gonna ask you about influences on him and that was such a good summary of it i mean i was thinking about how it sets a new tone for this book i mean partly i think it's just having a regular penciler you know who's gonna stick around and we're not gonna have all of these jam issues and everything so much moving forward we're gonna have at least some consistency in the art and that is gonna help with the tone of the book a lot but i don't know i was also thinking about sort of the shift from and we already talked about this a little little bit earlier with like what nate gray represents as sort of the shift from one type of 90s to another type of 90s and although this is still very much the 90s i mean there is like a softness coming back into superhero art, you know, like from the kind of heights of the image revolution in sort of 1992, 1993, I've sort of noticed that coming back into this book as we're reading it. And when I think about other artists who are popular, I mean, you already mentioned like Casada and Matarera and like people like that and some of the manga influence there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's something that I really, of... yeah, that's something that I really appreciate in terms of Pacheco coming on the book. Like I, I don't know, I'm sure we've talked about this on the pod before, but it's like, among sort of the image founders, you know, Jim Lee's probably my favorite, but I've never been a fan of Jim Lee. I appreciate it intellectually from a distance, but just, 
I mean, I'm into superheroes and sexuality, right? I want the bodies to feel touchable and desirable to me, right? <laughs> and like the Jim Lee bodies, they're like made of hard plastic or metal. And to me, there's a fetishistic quality to that that I can sometimes talk myself into, but it's not really my thing. And I know it is some people's thing and that's fine, but I really appreciate kind of going back to a little bit more softness that I think works better for some of the domestic tone of Excalibur 2. Like he's going to draw some great domestic scenes sort of like after this one. Like this one's very exaggerated. There's a lot of intensity to this particular issue. Like I made that joke earlier about Pacheco's trying to impress us with this mm -hmm. issue. And I think mm -hmm. some of the subsequent issues I'm going to I'm gonna like a little bit better. This one's trying to make a splash and maybe trying too hard. But yeah, I really mm -hmm. appreciate this change in tone and style for this book and I'm going to have more nice things to say about it moving forward. Yeah, I've always so I, I've said this before and I've been waiting for the for to get here because I actually like Carlos Pacheco a lot. And I said this when we talked about Joe Mads a little bit in the past of the not just the image artists, but the image revolution, the 90s artists that sprang out of the image five. Right. Jim Lee's gift is that Jim Lee is quite possibly the most technically proficient artist who has ever worked in comics. And I appreciate that. I do. <laughs> yes. I do. And, that, and, I, and that's the thing to appreciate. And, and you're either into it or not. And I like Jim Lee a lot, but Jim Lee is not an expressionist. He is a draftsman. Jim Lee will sit there and, you know, they might be too big because he's trying to, you know, show a larger than life individual, but every muscle every lat every you know like like every muscle in the body every bone in the body is technically proficient in a Jim Lee drawing as opposed to a Rob Liefeld who does not care at all right Rob is going for a vibe and you know love Rob or hate Rob there's a vibe to his art that makes them very visually distinct people you know talk about them because of the thin line there are similarities but the two of them are very distinct what i think pacheco and joe mads brought and this is again after the exodus after the image exodus they brought a sense of design and fun and approachability to the work because there's a approachability is um, good i like that sensibility mm -hmm. to it right so that's what i always say like I, I i've talked about it before on the one of my favorite artists from this era is Larry Stroman, who is not technically proficient at all. He's a graffiti artist. He's trying, I mean, he's trying to be fun. It's not even just manga influenced. It's just the cartooniness that that makes him feel very distinct. And I think there's some of that in what Pacheco can do. Like, I, it's not, he's certainly not as cartoony as Stroman is, but choices will be made that are not about realism. There are choices that are made just to breathe life into the drawing and make you want to be a part of the image as opposed to oh. marveling at its proficiency. That is a wonderful well way said. of putting it. Yeah, 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 I love that. I will say that Pacheco does seem to have a pretty good sense of anatomy, you mm -hmm. know, uh, when we're talking about, <laughs> you were mentioning the Rob, who is really an awful person in so many ways, <laughs> the uh, continues to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> on a regular basis uh you can tell him i said that it's it is so much more about like you said a vibe right and there's no technical proficiency behind it whatsoever except it was such a vibe that like i remember being obsessed with that when i was a kid i was like this is the coolest thing ever right look at that guy he's got big sticks coming out of his back what are they oh they're guns uh okay look at those shoulder pads those are rad right like but you know 
Carlos here, you know, he does seem to be able to draw things in perspective. He's doing really interesting camera angles when he's actually drawing scenes. You know, he has an outstretched hand and you can see every single like joint in the fingers. And it shows a technical proficiency that um, you're talking about with Jim Lee, but it's also much more expressive, right? Mm -hmm. Like Jim Lee, if you go back to like when he starts on X-Men and I always think that like those couple issues that he did with Extinction Agenda, for instance, they're very expressive, you know, like his characters have sort of a, a life to them and, and you can see an emotion to them and he's willing to exaggerate things. Whereas afterwards, once we get into, you know, Mutant Genesis and his career beyond, and it's only gotten more stiff, right? Things just sort yeah. of congeal and, and uh, solidify so that everybody is a statue um, as opposed to like a moving character and here carlos has got some really great movement going on here you know colossus jumping down into the broken down lab from above like th there is a lot of, <laughs> of really good fluidity uh throughout this whole thing yeah i have been reading brutes and babes columns all day at the time of this recording <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about some of his 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 lessons about page composition there was oh mm -hmm. interesting relevant to this podcast there was a design a cape a cover for an issue of cable contest in brutes and babes and you know who showed up in it as an honorable mention our old friend ken lashley oh, oh must have been yeah. teenage ken lashley it was adorable Could, uh, there yeah, are fun moments like that in old wizard magazines yeah. where mm -hmm. like because they used to do the uh, the envelope contests mm -hmm. and there there are occasionally some artists that like pop up later professionally that that submitted their work so that's really cool that, that lashley was in there yeah i like that anyway andrew i wanted to give you a chance to have pacheco thoughts before we because we're we're running long and we're probably going to move to final thoughts but i want to make sure that you get a word in on it because you said that you really appreciate his style too so yeah i mean what appeals to you about it i agree with everything that's already been said um, so maybe all i would had that's kind of new is um speaking of draftsmanship that's where you see the manga like um mm. that idea of four vertical panels the last one sliding down slightly followed by two long horizontal panels that's manga uh that, that that's taken straight from that and, and what i like about pacheco is that he's not just borrowing shonen uh which would be like that colossus image that adam mentioned um, but he's also borrowing shoujo uh, and the ways that the drafting of the panel or sorry the drafting of the page can create these really kind of intense emotional metaphors yeah yeah uh, and we see a little bit of that happening here. We're going to see a lot more of it. And that makes me excited because that kind of character-based visual storytelling is ideal for Excalibur. In yes, mind. exactly. Exactly. Because I think that when people express an affection for this era of Excalibur, it often is those domestic scenes. And like they harken mm. back to the early days of Excalibur. And I think Pacheco is a huge part of that. I'm really looking forward to talking about some of those. There's particular scenes that are just so dear to my heart that I am really looking forward to talking about i'm so glad that you mentioned that yeah i don't know there's so much stuff that we haven't covered and i think we should just do final thoughts and give each of us a chance to kind of circle back to one or two things from this issue because i've certainly got a couple of them that i want to talk about so let's do it and i'll come to you first mav what is it that you desperately want to talk about that we haven't talked about i'm sure there is something desperately desperately mav <laughs> it has to be what something oh, you're no... desperate to talk about i i appreciate brian in this issue i've already talked about my appreciation of Roy, I love that Brian just wanted to keep sleeping. That was his contribution. <laughs> <laughs> he just like Brian in this issue is just like We've every time I try to have an early night. Like, why is there an explosion? I'm retired off panel, but like, why? And like, he has no desire to go any further than that. And I thought, I, I, 
I get it. I'm, I'm there with you. There's just so much in here where I, I wonder why decisions were made. And part of me wonders, you know, if there's an editorial mandate to, you know, connect these worlds, I get it. Except that I feel like if this happened, Ellis put the least possible effort into it that he possibly could. Because this, this just feels like, let's get this out of the way. And then I don't know where I want to go with this, but this is my other final thing with it, which is just there's a weird continuity error or maybe not that I have to blame on Pacheco as much as that we've been raving about him. When the explosion first happens, for some reason, we see Pete Wisdom leap into into action and start pulling Kitty along. And then the next time we see them, Kitty is pulling Pete uh, Pete Wisdom along. And I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's, it's just this weird thing that happens between those two panels. And it's just like, are they just both excited, but they <laughs> they feel like they need to drag each other? And then, oh, and then the other thing that actually happened on that page, which I do weird, you, you mentioned it in your in your um, recap, which was the where she basically tries to yeah. gaslight wisdom. Yeah, into what the, the hell was thinking, that? It's okay. Like, I mean, he wasn't really like she's bad. she's trying to gaslight Pete Wisdom into thinking it's okay that my ex boyfriend tried to murder you, and it's like, <laughs> well, he wasn't really trying. That was kind of a hysterical love tap. I am a flesh and blood human being. He is a giant metal monster man and he broke me. <laughs> so no, like I'm not a big P I mean, I like Pete. I like Peter Rasputin much better than I like Pete Wisdom. However, Pete Wisdom has a legitimate gripe here. So let him be, <laughs> you know, all he was doing was kissing his girlfriend. He has a legitimate gripe. He has a perfectly reasonable reason to not like Pete Rasputin. So those are and like even like her language about it, it's so weird. I was like, well, Warren Ellis wrote both of those comics, and Kitty's dialogue right. is like, oh, you were probably asking for it, you big flirt, and it was like he didn't do anything. <laughs> he was just standing there, he like he was, he was he he was giving her a good night kiss. Like that I was, know, like it, it's so. I mean, I I get it if it's if there's a part of their relationship which is true where they're always teasing each other. There's a point where Kitty is like, oh, you know, I know you're a jerk, ha ha ha, but it. Does doesn't feel like that it feels like you know come on you asked for it a little bit and like he did not did not know anybody was there was having a cigarette <laughs> you know, like, like was just like not and, sucker punched like got sucker punched by a giant metal man who made his head turn around literally <laughs> like, like he, pete wisdom should be dead he should be dead again and this one and when kitty phased out of the way and let him take a, a side blast that was that's that a was great un page yeah, but <laughs> well, related to that, I mean, just quickly, I was wondering, because you brought up the panel where Brian is sleeping and Megan's in her green costume there, she's going to be in a different outfit later. So she's supposed to be naked in that panel, right? And they just colored it green. <laughs> well, yeah, because later in the issue, she's shown with kind of like a, a naked bust and like her, she's wearing a jacket just to kind of cover up. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, it just occurred to me. And then like, it's funny because it just made me think about, again, about how much stuff sort of davis got away with you know in terms of like putting people in not clothes and uh making it really clear that that was going on and i like it just it stood out to me it stood out to me but anyway andrew final thoughts from you anything you want to circle back to or bring up two things just one really briefly th th this read to me like a secret wars 2 issue with x-men and the role of the <laughs> yes. beyonder and i i didn't like secret wars 2 issues the first time around um and then the 
the thing that I wanted to mention, just because I think there, there's an apologist perspective here that, you know, X-Man's not hurting anybody, but I kind of feel he does hurt things. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he ruined in my eyes a really good New Mutants revival that was going at one point when he got shoehorned into the book. I think mm-hmm. he diminishes Cable as a character just by existing. I think he diminishes yes. the entire X franchise just by having the title X-Man uh, and, and the way that it that makes sort it seem more important. Him. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't like the character, but I also think it's a situation where it's not, you know, forgive him. He's off doing his own thing. No, he's coming into stuff and he's ruining stuff. And maybe he's ruining <laughs> Excalibur this month. Wow. God, so much. I know it's harsh. I don't want to be mean, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been apathetic to X-Men most of my life, but I mean, I didn't live through, I mean, I lived through the X-Men heydays, but I was blissfully unaware of him. So maybe that's why right. I'm a little bit more neutral on the subject. Um, I just had a couple of things. I mean, for one thing, I had to make fun of Kitty's hilarious line where she says, Nate can cope with fights, but Moira's actually talking him to death, which was very funny. <laughs> Um, so there was that. And then my other thing was just going to be, I also read X-Man number 12. And it also includes the scene where Kurt and Piotr are having beers on the cliff. But in the version mm-hmm. of it in X-Man, they're actually playing Battleship, which is yes. adorable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm sad that didn't carry through here. <laughs> but I had to bring that up because it was a great splash. Um, Adam, any final thoughts from you? Anything you want to circle back to or bring up before we before we wrap up our discussion? No, I, I think we've all kind of hit the nail on the head that X-Man sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. We really, we really hit that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do think, though, that there is a certain point where X-Man sucks so bad that, like, there's a certain kind of, like, joy in he's one of those b-list d-list x characters that somehow had this giant series but like if you were to tell me because i know you guys were really hard on age of x-man on your last episode um (laughs) i i have some real fondness for that and i think that there's some really interesting ideas in age of x-man that maybe don't get explored perfectly but it's just an it's just a weird kind of like let's do whatever we want kind of experiment. And Age of X-Man does end with X-Man and a splinter of Magneto's soul going off into like creating their own second utopia, right? And if someone were to tell me that like next year we were gonna get Age of X-Man 2, I'm not gonna lie, I'd be kind of excited about that because it just seems wow. like something absolutely bananas and bonkers. And I know just from having like had a brief conversation with uh with Lonnie that there is a pitch for that you know somewhere in the world that they've thought about it so x-man in general there is a certain like appeal to this character for him being so gosh darn stupid and dumb and and for hating him so much I guess the only other thing I, I wanted to note was that on the splash page with um, with X-Man and his like Age of Apocalypse origin story, Celine is holding a really cute little dinosaur. I and, know. Um, I just yeah. wanted to note that. So uh, <laughs> that's all I got. I'm sort of just hung up, though, on your breaking news that Fall of X is going to be followed by a rebirth, which I can only assume. <laughs> that will never happen. <laughs> That will never happen. Centrally tied to Nate Gray. <laughs> no, I mean if you look at the the stuff that's coming out, right? We got we got Nascenti coming back. We we got Luis is coming back. Wheezy, when's the Claremont reboot? I don't know. Oh, I'm scared. Now. Don't 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 say his name three times. He'll appear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he 
he's, he's my candy man. Andrew, we love him. You know that we do. But I don't know that I want him writing in continuity Krakoa books. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll read Everyone's it. I'll a read it. Everyone's a new race. Everyone's a new race. Chris Claremont is my X-Man in the year 2023. Wow. So much to we, unpack there. We, 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 we love you, Chris. A- Andrew has devoted years of his life to studying your comics. We love you. Um, I hear there's a new book coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the last thing I wanted to do was a letter from the Sword Strokes letters page because I had one that serves my own interests. So I'm going to do that one. Um, this letter is from Doug Tennant. So I'm just going to read part of it, <laughs> the best part of it. So Doug says, I'm deliriously happy to see Amanda Sefton again. There is something marvelously unique in her undemanding relationship with Kurt. Their link over the years has sometimes been distant, but never faint. Given their unconditional relationship, please don't suddenly complicate them with ineptly romantic hearts and flowers. Neither claims an exclusive commitment from the other, and they fill an emotional void in each other as if they are the very truest of friends who on occasion become lovers. Amanda would gladly give the groom away if Kurt were to happily commit to that one true love of his heart. Speaking of Cerise, bring her back. Anyway, I found that a very intriguing letter to be chosen <laughs> for publication, given my theories that Kurt and Amanda have an open relationship, which I have said in the past, I think is strongly hinted in subtext. And someone else apparently picked up on it, and whoever's editing the letter page thought that they would put it in there so they tacitly agree with me too so again serving my own my own purposes that that letter was more interesting than the issue Mm, mm, i know (laughs) the letter writer is writing a more interesting comic than the comic which so often happens on this podcast i was not born to live a man's life but to be the stuff of future memory the fellowship was a brief beginning a fair time that cannot be forgotten. And because it will not be forgotten, that fair time may come again. We will wrap things up there, as sorry as I am to end this fabulous conversation. But um, it's late, and I know everybody's got to go to bed and get up and do stuff. So, Adam, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. I'd be personally offended if our lovely listeners aren't already supporting all of your awesome stuff. But just in case they need a reminder of how to do that, whereabouts can they find you online, and how can they support all the awesome stuff that you do? Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for putting down their swords for a moment and allowing me to join you uh i've had a lot of fun with our our back and forth you know sort of taunts i don't know how else to put that (laughs) but um it's it's great to have a little rivalry so uh we appreciate everything that you the three of you do here at your show um if folks are not listening to my show that is battle of the atom um where we're ranking every x-men story of all time and uh we i guess this episode's coming out probably the same week that our 300th episode is is coming out this one's coming out saturday and you're Yours will be on Monday. Wow. So uh, I, yeah. So you can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, If folks would like to follow me, I, you know, I, Usually I'm recommending people follow me on Instagram, adam.rec, mainly because Twitter is just like a fiery hellhole. Um, but if you're still on Twitter, at uh, Arthur Stacy, and, um, you know, swing on by, say hi or not, whatever. But thanks again for having me here. I appreciate it. I believe it was Bad Boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins, who started the little feud between our that podcasts. That does sound right. <laughs> uh, he's been... He's been picking fights with some other uh, shows as well. And, uh, you know, he's he's bad. He's a bad boy. Um, so you know, it's it's hard to rein my co-host in sometimes. 
Oh my god. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much again, Adam. It was so fun. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Next, we will be discussing Excalibur number 96, Fireback, featuring Kurt debuting half of his new look, plus the London Hellfire Club and the triumphant return of Margali Spardos, Alastair Stewart, and Lockheed, who we haven't seen for ages. Where the heck has he been? In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes as well as our holiday specials you can find those via our website or the box popcast youtube channel as always if you want to chat with us about excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode let us know you can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via twitter at goshgollywow where we post daily pages and whatever issue we're reading this week and more fun extras thank you andrew and Matt, for another very uncompetitive conversation thank you adam for amplifying our hearts thank you all for listening and a special thanks <laughs> <laughs> to maximilian the platform music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. <laughs> it's a little injection of cuteness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Blushing song. <soul. laughs>